Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. So for those of you who have been here, you know what series we're in. For those of you who are, who are new or visiting with us today, especially to our, our Trail Life uh, group and their families, so blessed to have you guys here with us today. Uh, the series we're in is the, what I've called the top 316s of the Bible. Now, we all know John 3.16, but most of us don't know many other ones. But there's a lot of good 3.16s in the Bible. And so what I've done is I've gone through and I just picked 10, plus a bonus one for next week. But I've picked 10, and I didn't rank them because they're all inspired by God, so don't do that. But I've just gone through them in book order, canonical order of the Bible. And so today, we're coming close to the end. We have this week and next, two more 3.16s. This morning... It's not John 3.16, it's 1 John 3.16. So I invite you to turn with me there, 1 John 3.16. I'm going to read for us, uh, starting back in verse 11, and I'm going to read through to verse 18. Now I invite you all to please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. We'll read together 1 John 3, starting in verse 11. And we'll go to verse 18. This is God's holy word for us, his people today. God's word says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love Abide in him. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is God's holy, inspired word to us today, his people. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, this is indeed your word, and we ask that you would make these words live in our hearts and minds today. That by your spirit you would take your truth and write it upon our hearts and stamp it upon our lives. May we meet with you today as you reveal yourself to us and stand forth in powerful ways as only you can do from your scriptures. Give us open hearts ready to receive. And give us tender souls before you ready to bend to your will and to go from this place and do all that you've called us to do. And we'll give you the glory as you do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
<clears throat> the most famous 316 of the Bible, as you all know, is John 316. Too often overlooked is a parallel verse, the cousin verse to John 316. And that is our passage today, 1 John 316. This verse is an important passage because it helps us understand what true love is. Our culture today has all sorts of ideas about what true love is. Right? You see it displayed in all forms of media and entertainment, music and movies, books, the radio, your friends you have conversations with, and on and on. Right? We get it from all sorts of places, like that like that movie that says, True love, marriage. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that from the pulpit, like, just like in the movie. <laughs> today was my chance. <laughs> we are gathered here today. Sorry. <laughs> right? So we've got from that, from the ridiculous to the sublime, all different forms and ideas about what is true love, what does it really look like, what does it feel like, what does it do in life and that's our question today that I want us to think about. What is love? How do you evaluate love? What do you point to as an example of what love looks like? Not real love, not shallow love, not fake love, but real love. Like verse 18 says, don't just love in word or talk. Right? Don't just say it, show me. Let us love in deed action and in truth we want love indeed true love what is it how do you evaluate it and what do you point to as an example of what it really looks like well these are the three questions that we're going to look at this morning and this is what we're going to take away from our text three questions we'll look at today from first john three sixteen. And these are the three points of the sermon today, which you can find on your bulletin insert. The meaning of love, the measure of love, and the model of love. So let's begin with the first, the meaning of love. There are all different kinds of love for all different kinds of things. We love places. We love Objects, things, stuff. We love activities. We love events. Right? So those are impersonal objects. Places, events, activities, things like that. Like we'll say, man, I just love this restaurant. Ooh, I love this steak. Man, I love my favorite sports team. I love the Super Bowl. Buffet bars, love it. All you can eat bacon. Like we say, we use the word love for all sorts of things, don't we? All sorts of things. But then, you know, we ascend a little higher to a different kind of love, maybe a higher or perhaps a deeper kind of love, where we love our family. 
We love our friends. You say, man, I really love my sister. I just, I really love my, my dad. You love family and friends. There's another kind of love, a love that you might have for a stranger. Or the love that you might even have, as the Bible calls us to, love an enemy. Now, the way I love my enemy is not the way I love a corn dog. Maybe I love corn dogs more than my enemy. Right? Very different kinds of love. The way I'm going to love a stranger, like say the person who's ringing me up in the, in the store, is not the way I'm going to love you know, my favorite basketball team. Then we have other kinds of love. Those that involve not just love for you know, a person you don't really know, but the love that, or the love you have for a family member, but then you have the, the sort of romantic kind of love, a relationship of, to a spouse or to a fiancé, a boyfriend or girlfriend. And then, highest of all, we love God. It's very, very baffling. It's, it's, just, it's more than a little baffling that in English we use the word love in all these different ways for all these different things. That I can say love about you know, a particular food and love about Jesus. It, it, it kind of, <laughs> you don't want to put them on the same level, but we don't really have two different words that we use for how we feel about those two things. So it can be a little confusing. But what do they all have in common? All these different kinds of love. What do they all have in common? Right? If, you could, if you could extract out the essence of all these loves, you know, you got vanilla extract. If you could have a love extract, if you could bottle it, what would it be? The bottom line, what are you left with if you just boil all these loves down to their bare essence? Here's my take. Here's my shot at it. Love is a passion. Love is a passion. And I mean passion in a technical sense. Perhaps a bit more of a psychological or even a philosophical sense. A passion. What is a passion? Well, the word passion in English comes from a Latin word that in some contexts means to suffer. Think about the movie, The Passion of the Christ. That's not a movie about Jesus' emotions. That's a movie about his suffering. The Passion of the Christ. The suffering of Jesus. So it can mean to suffer in some contexts, but in a more broad way, in a more general sense, the Latin word means to undergo something. To undergo something. A passion then, for us, when we say you have a passion, what we mean is something that grips you. A passion is something that grips you. Something that moves you. Now, there are all sorts of different kinds of passions. Right? We can be in the grip of anger. We can be moved by all sorts of different passions. But this is a particular kind. This is a passion that, something that moves us by attraction. It moves us by attraction. I would say a passion is a depth of feeling and disposition that is drawn out of you with affection towards something. It's not shallow. Love isn't just a shallow feeling. It's, there's a depth to it. 
a depth of feeling and disposition that is drawn out of you with affection towards something. The object of your love, it pulls you in some way. It pulls you towards it. Whether it's, you know, your favorite dessert or it's God and everywhere in between, there's something about the object that moves you, that grips you, if you love it. It pulls you in. It pulls you in with a depth of feeling. It just draws it out of you by attraction. And it gives you an affection for that thing. Maybe the simplest way to say it is this. Love is the deepest form of caring about something. It's the deepest form of really caring about something. If a person has a passion for the eagles, and I know you all do. Not me, I'm from North Carolina, I don't care. I don't talk about my team, because they're awful. I have no passion for the Panthers. But if you're passionate about the eagles, they're going to do it this year, right? Yeah, come on. If you're passionate about it, at bottom that means you really care about it. You, can, you follow the stats. You know every player's high school and college. You know their, their tackles and their rushing yards. And man, you're into it. You keep track of it. Now, if you don't care about football, it's something else. You deeply care about a book. You love that book. You're going to read that book. I want to know about that book. I'm going to study that book or whatever it is. Love, at bottom, I think, really is just the deepest form of really caring about something. That thing just pulls out of you your care and affection for that thing. Care is this internal drive towards and desire for something. Now, the passion of love, this deep form of care... This thing that moves us. It moves us in at least three ways. And I want to summarize. At least these three ways is this is how it moves you. First of all, it gives you delight in the other. There's something about that thing that delights you. Excites you. That you enjoy. The second thing is desire. You have a desire for that thing. When you love something, you want to be close to it. You want to have it with you. You want to be united to it in some way. If you love eating, eating at that restaurant, you want to be there. <laughs> I want to be in the seat. I want to have the menu. I want to order the food. Yes. Or if it's the sports event, you want to be there. You want in some way to have that connection with the thing that you love. You delight in it. You also have a desire for it. And the third way it moves you is that you have devotion to it. Real devotion to it. And that's where the care you have for it really comes out. You are devoted to that thing. You are going to follow that sports team. You are going to know about that team. If it's a person, you're going to care about that person. You're going to be devoted to that person. There's going to be a kind of faithfulness to it. A kind of commitment Not just a connection, but a commitment. Delight, desire, and devotion. When we love something, that thing moves us in these ways. Now, I would say that love in its lowest form is what I would call one-dimensional love. And a one-dimensional love is when you just love in that first way, where you just delight in something. That's the love, I think that's the kind of love we have for stuff, for objects, and events and things like that. 
So that when you love like the Super Bowl, you just get excited about it. That's what that kind of love is. An intense form of excitement and enjoyment. And you delight in it. It's one dimensional. If it just stays at the delight level, it's one dimensional. But then you can move to maybe a two dimensional love, which takes the delight and the desire. And the reason it's two dimensional is because when you have this desire for that other thing, that desire can endure even when the first dimension is absent sometimes. You, I can still have a desire for something in the sense of loving it, even if I don't at that moment have those intense feelings for it. And that's an important distinction. Like, I still love my favorite food, but I don't have a particular craving for it right this second. The love is there even though the feelings aren't there, is what I'm saying. That's a deeper kind of love. A love that's just feelings level, it, you know, it comes and goes. But that desire for that thing can stay even when you don't have those particular feelings in the moment. That's a deeper kind of love. And then I'd say the, the deepest kind of love, the third dimensional love, three-dimensional love, is when you have the delight, the desire, and you have that devotion. This is the deepest kind of love because your devotion to that thing endures even when the delight isn't there and even when you don't particularly have a desire for that thing in the moment. And you all know this kind of love if you've ever had a serious argument with your spouse or a friend or a family member. Where you can be like, I feel the opposite of delight in you right now. I certainly desire to wring your neck, not enjoy you, kill you, but, but, I'm not going to do that because I have this third level where I am committed to you and I am devoted to you. Devotion, I would say, is the highest form, maybe the deepest form of love we know. It's the kind of love that seeks the good of another. It's the kind of love you have to a person. The deepest kind of love is not for chocolate or for sports or a book or an event or anything like that. But it's a love for a person. Person to person love. A devotion that seeks the good of another. Caring about that other more than self. And acting for the good of another. Even in sacrificial ways. That you can have even for an enemy that you do not delight in and have no desire for at all. You don't love an enemy by liking your enemy and feeling warm and fuzzy towards your enemy. You love your enemy by being more committed to the good of your enemy than to the destruction of your enemy. More than I want to get revenge, more than I want to see justice done to you, more than I want you to fail and suffer, more than all of that, even if he deserves all of that, more than that, I want your ultimate well-being. I want what is best for you. I do not wish ill upon you. I wish you the best. In spite of you wishing me the worst, I overcome that by being more committed, more moved by your good than your destruction. That's hard to do. That's very hard to do, to love an enemy to the point of being sacrificial for the good of your enemy. That's hard. I would say that's divine. And that's what brings us to our text. This is the kind of love we see in 1 John 3.16. This verse starts by saying, by this we know 
love. This first point is about the meaning of love. What is the meaning of love? John says, by this we know. In other words, he's going to point us to something that gives us a definition. That shows us the meaning of love. And what does he point us to? He points us to Jesus. Jesus is John's definition of love. He points to a person. The meaning of love is the self-sacrificing devotion of Jesus to your eternal good. You see that? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. We watch Jesus love us perfectly. And that's our definition. What does Jesus do? He puts on display how much he truly cares about you. It is a depth of passion for your good that in spite of your sin, in spite of your unworthiness, in spite of your rejection of it for years of your life, in spite of never living worthy of it, it just keeps coming. It does not stop him from going to the cross for you. This is how we know the meaning of love. We look at the self-sacrificing devotion of Jesus to us as he lays himself down for our eternal good. If that's the meaning of love, let's go to the second point. How do we measure? How do we measure love? When can you tell the depth and intensity and genuineness of love? How can you cut through when someone is loving you in word and talk to see if that person's loving you in deed and in truth? We can ask some questions. To what lengths are you willing to go in your devotion? How consistently do you care for and care about something? How durable is your devotion? To what extent am I still your passion? That's one way you can measure it. And if we ask those questions of our text... This is where God's love blows our love out of the water. To see this, we move forward into chapter 4. And just look at how John describes the love of God. He says in chapter 4 verse 19 that God's love initiates. It doesn't wait for you to love him first. Chapter 4 verse 19. We love because... He first loved us. God's love is an initiating love. It is a love that pursues. It is a love that moves towards and chases down. It initiates. It doesn't wait for you to love him first. His love comes first. Second, God's love initiates. And number two, God's love is the passion of his own goodness. 
And this is where I have to stress that God's love is on another level from ours. It's of a different quality. It's still love, but it's not just human love, but, you know, to the nth degree. It's, it's not human love at all. It's something bigger, better, and higher. That's still love, but it's God's kind of love, not our kind of love. It is a love that comes from the passion, a love that is the passion of his own goodness. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Look at our love. Our love, as I described earlier, is a passion where the object, the thing we love, it moves us in some way. It gives us a passion of affection for that thing. It moves us by attraction. It is lovely. It's awesome. It's fun. It's whatever. It's got something that draws our love out to it. That is not how God loves us. God doesn't look at us and say, Wow, they're so awesome. Man, they're so worthy of my love. Wow, I can't help it. He doesn't look at us that way. He doesn't get moved with infatuation for you. No. God loves you with his own passion of love that comes from his very nature. He just is love. And all love comes from him. He initiates love because he is love itself. There is no love in your world or in your life that doesn't come from him if it's real love. God is love means his fundamental nature just is love itself. And so he already has his love for you by nature. (laughs) He doesn't have to look and find something pretty and attractive and lovely about you. In fact, it works the other way around. God's love does not find you lovely and then it just gets attracted to you. God's love finds you incredibly unlovely in your sin. And he makes you lovely by his love. God makes you lovely and lovable... By choosing to love you. His his passion comes from his own goodness. That's how good he is. His nature is love. And so he loves you perfectly. Through his own goodness. God's love initiates. God's love comes from his own goodness. Not from our loveliness. And third, God's love moved him to move heaven and earth for you. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest. We're trying to measure his love. Well, this is where it was put on display. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love initiates. God's love comes from his own goodness, not from anything in us. And God's love moved him to move heaven and earth for you, that he was willing to give his only son, whom he loves more than infinite worlds of perfect beauty combined, 
Nothing's more valuable than Jesus. And God, in his love for you, gave his son to atone for our sins, that he might lay down his life for you. God's love moved him that much. Finally, God's love is unchanging and perfect. Unchanging and perfect. Chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Our love, as, as good as it is, as strong as it is, our love gets affected by the way people treat us and the things people say. Our love just sort of ebbs and flows sometimes. Even the most dedicated person, devoted in love to someone, if that person sins against you so brutally, it really can make your love diminish and decrease. Our, love, our hearts can be broken. Our love can falter and fall. Our love can go up and down like the tides. Just like our moods sometimes just strike us, our love sometimes just goes through these cycles. It's not always perfect. It's never perfect. It's not always steady. It's not consistent. It can come and go depending on circumstances and mood and how we're treated and you name it. But God's love is unchanging and perfect so that when you sin against him over and over and over and over that same sin you've repented of for the last 20 years and you keep coming back to it and you think there's no way he can still forgive me for this. There's no way he still loves me as much as he did 20 years ago because I keep doing this same thing. But God's not like you, Christian. God's not like you. His love is infinite and eternal, and it's not based on you. It's based on who he is. He is love. And since he is love, you can't make his love run dry. You can't diminish it. You can't destroy it. You can't subtract from it. It's constant. It's steady. It's perfect. And it just keeps pursuing you when you're the least worthy of it. When you've sinned against it most egregiously, his love for you continues. And you know that because he gave Jesus for you. So if you want to know the measure of love, look at the love of God for us in Christ. God's love is the measure of our love. Chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. His love for you is the measure of true love. Or as he says back in our text, 316, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, our fellow believers. That's the measure and standard of our love. And this brings us back to our final point, back to Jesus. Jesus embodies and enacts and fulfills God's love perfectly. And he gave us our model of love. 
chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Or as he says in 4.12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love is on display. That's our model. And Jesus modeled it perfectly in his love for his friends, for his enemies, for me, and for you. He is the model. And so we fulfill the model of God's love. We fulfill the model of true love when we love with the passion of Jesus. When we catch his passion. When he, in his love for us, so moves us that we begin to look and live and love like him. He's the model. He is God's perfect love, embodied, enacted, on display, fulfilled, lived out in a human life. And if you want to know what true love looks like, look at how Jesus loves. He is our model. We follow him. So what moves you, Christian? What moves you? What do you care about most? Do you delight in God? Desire God? Are you devoted to God? Do you love the Lord? And do you love your neighbor? If your answer is kinda, some, not as much as I wish, take heart today. Be encouraged today to look to Christ. Look to Christ and let His perfect divine love grip you. Let it move you. Let it ignite that passion for Him that maybe you once had or wish you had or heard about and only dreamed of. Let His love ignite it. Watch Him loving you perfectly all the way to the tomb. Watch God give everything to seek your good, your eternal good, to give you eternal life. And let that ignite the passion. Let that excite your delight in Him. Let that stir your desire for Him. Let that compel you to be devoted to Him and to one another as He's called you and modeled for us to do. To have a passion for Him and to live out His love in all your other loves. That that love would be supreme, your ultimate passion. This is the end of the Christmas season. This is Epiphany Sunday. And my prayer is that God would let His light shine in a new epiphany of wonder that thrills our hearts with love for Him because He so loved us first and continues to love you so faithfully even when we sin against it in word, thought, and deed by what we do and by what we leave undone on a daily basis. It is an unquenchable love. And so as we move to close this service or this portion of the service, I invite you to do as our last hymn calls us to do. Oh, come let us adore Him.
And not just today and not just during Christmas, but let us adore him always. Always. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give our whole hearts to you today. And for those of us who want to give it, but just there's something hindering, something blocking, something that weighs us down. I pray that you would remove those obstacles, that you would truly give us a glimpse and a sight of the love that you have for us in Christ. And may you pour out your love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit afresh and anew today and excite us and ignite us with a passion for you and a passion for one another, a passion, a devotion, a care, an ultimate concern for you and for walking in obedience to you. That's the path that is the most difficult, but it's the path that is the most rewarding and brings the most joy. Help us to believe that and help us to walk after the model of love we have in Christ. May we all live and look and love like him and may we adore him with all of our hearts now and always in Jesus' name, amen.